Welcome everyone back to another episode of When Movies Were Good with Rachel and my special guest star, my only guest star, the wonderful Matt. Matt, how are you today? Well, I'm good. I'm uh, glad to know I hold such a special status. <laughs> As I said, you're the Jonathan Harris of When Movies Were Good, the weekly guest star who's on every week, you know. Um, so we are doing our Christmas episode for everybody and we chose two of the greats. It's A Wonderful Life, 1946, Frank Capra directed and White Christmas, 1954, directed by one of your favourites because he directed one of your favourite films, um, Michael Curtis, who directed Casablanca as well. Yeah, yeah it's uh, been a good week and uh, it kind of crept up on us. Because, like all Christmas things uh, creep up on us and I was like, my God, it's uh, going to be uh, mid-December. We need to do a Christmas special. Yeah, we were just chatting about that after the, the last episode that we did. And um, like a lot of movies that we've discussed this year, these are films that I have been meaning to watch for decades and I, for whatever reason, never got around to it. I've always seen the ending of It's a Wonderful Life when he's with the family. I know some of the songs out of White Christmas because I was singing along to them when I was watching it, but never sat down and watched them from start to finish. So it was kind of good to finally get these films under my belt. Yeah, well, I had a similar experience with White Christmas because that DVD um, that I watched it from for this show, I had actually had for over a year and like I bought it one time uh, from the store uh, when it was out for Christmas and as often happens at the time of the year you just don't get as much time to sit down and do things like movies and fishing like you do through the rest of the year and then Christmas passed and I'm like okay probably uh, not a time to be watching a Christmas film and I just didn't get around it till this year. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny. I've literally for probably 30 years been meaning to watch It's a Wonderful Life since I was a kid. And just for whatever reason, I always you always see it in other famous films. They're watching It's a Wonderful Life. And it's always the part at the end when they're all standing near the Christmas tree and he's holding his daughter and everything. So I'm like, it might be time to actually watch the film from the start. Yeah, for a long time, the only uh, It's a Wonderful Life I'd seen was the French dub version that you see in Home Alone. Oh, right. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm having a vague memory of that. So we'll jump right in and we'll start with It's a Wonderful Life. So this is, as we were discussing before, it's a little bit like Die Hard in terms of it's technically set around Christmas, but not a Christmas movie, but now it's become one of the most well-loved Christmas movies of all time, if not the most well-loved Christmas movie of all time. Yeah, well, part of it was... Uh... And like a lot of movies, uh, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it uh, achieved a new immortality uh, in the age of television because uh, It's a Wonderful Life. They, they didn't renew the copyright in, in the 60s or the 70s when That's it came right, up. And yeah. so it became it was one of those films they kept getting shown over and over on television and it became a holiday classic. And even uh, Frank Capra himself was uh, amazed at this new life it was taking uh, towards the end of his life. Yeah, and I did read that he, it in, in fact, did become his favourite film that he directed. I'm sure he had a lot of favourite films he directed, but it was one of his personal favourites. So just to do a brief recap, the film um, came out in 1946 and it was based off a book, uh, a booklet rather, so maybe a novella called The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern which was published a few years earlier. So, of course, the film stars James Stewart as George Bailey, essentially a man who's given up his personal dreams to help other members of his family, other members in the town of Bedford Falls where he lives. And then a series of unfortunate events creeps up on him and he's really thinking about ending it all, um, jumping off a bridge. 
and we see at the start of the film a group of guardian angels sort of jump in and try to intervene and one of them at the end Clarence played by Henry Travers he essentially comes in and intervenes for George and shows him how good his life actually is by showing him what his life would be like without what the town would be like and his family's life would be like without him in it and that gives him a change of heart and then it's a nice ending yeah it's um a very charming story i and it's a uh, something that can be relatable to a lot of people i find it particularly resonates with me at the moment because I'm at the stage where I'm having to make a lot of adult decisions and um, I've not necessarily uh, been able to do all the things I planned to do when I was younger and I try to keep the vital things in life in perspective. Yeah, I actually thought of you when I was watching this film. There was a few things that he was going through, especially when he was younger and he wanted to go away and he couldn't. And I uh, just a few things that you had mentioned, just certain places that you maybe would have liked to have studied in or had a work experience um, option in or something like that. It kind of, it did actually, I thought this would resonate with you a bit because, and, yeah. Uh, and the same for you, you've, um, you've uh, done a lot, uh, but uh, there was so much more you wanted to do, I yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think... Uh, a kind of a sad underlining to when we think of um, this story all these years later now is that uh, that is kind of a reflection of a time when um, people were often literally raised in a village environment, mm -hmm. even if you lived in a in a town and uh, the sort of all the people that you knew before and after, whereas all people in their suburban houses um, quite often um, seem to have a more isolated upbringing. Uh, there's a less of a community sense. Yes. So, um, uh, so it's um, you won't necessarily feel attached to the people of your early life the same way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when uh, I considered this film, I didn't real—I had a misunderstanding about what the film was about. So I always thought the whole thing was the angel showing him his life what it was like without him in it. I didn't realize that was only the last 15 minutes of the film. You know what I mean? Like that main part where he's walking around and nobody knows him. I thought the whole film was that. I thought we saw a snapshot of his life, like a day in his life at the start. I want to end it all. And so I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, that's actually not what the whole film is about. That's only at the end of the film. I thought the whole film was him going through the town and seeing his life without him in it and just experiencing all these things over the course of the day. So I was sort of not... I wouldn't use the term disappointed. I was like, oh, this film actually wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, I suppose it sort of has to build up to yes. that um, climatic moment because people need to relate to why... Um, uh, to, because uh, it, it's not like we're... A lot of modern discussions of mental health, like we're seeing the practical reasons why he's uh, got to the, to the point he is uh, in that he feels so desperate uh, that he uh, wants to remove himself and it does kind of uh, build up to what we'll be seeing with the angel when you have the uh, the sort of the two spirit dudes uh, discussing the uh, discussing Jimmy up in the stars. And uh, actually, uh, for the time, I think that was a quite a nice the special effects they did yeah. with, the, with the night sky movie. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I was thinking what you would think of that. I mean, for the time that it was made, I mean, nineteen forty six. It's it actually was very creative. Yeah, it's um, I'd actually like to um know a bit. Uh, a lot of films like uh, King Kong and those I'd like to know a bit more about the special effects of the time. Yeah, it's definitely something interesting. So I was also reading that Henry Fonda 
was considered for this role, who was one of Jimmy Stewart's best friends. But having said that, I think this is one of the best things I've seen James Stewart do. That scene towards the end of the film where he's at the bar and he's drinking and he starts crying and, you know, he was actually really, he really sold it, like all through the different parts of George's life from when he was a, a younger man. Uh, and that dance scene that they did over the swimming pool was utterly fantastic. He was great. I mean, he's a bit lanky and everything, but he was giving it all that he had. Yeah, I've, I've never seen a swimming pool like that where it's like literally hidden by a basketball court or yeah, something. Yeah, so I was reading a little bit about that where they shot that. So the majority of the film was shot out at Culver City on the on the on the let's see here so it was shot out at culver city california on the rko movie ranch that they had and the movie ranch they had in encino which doesn't exist anymore uh so they had adapted sets from another film but the actual where the swimming pool was it's located in the gymnasium at beverly hills high school and is still in use or at least part of it's still there. So it did... I was thinking, gee, that's very technologically sound at the time. I didn't think they'd have anything like that. Yeah, and I think the studio must have been very proud of that at its time because one of the old uh, film previews I've seen for it, um, uh, which is probably part of a reason why I think the film was underappreciated for a long time in that it sold the film the wrong way, but you have the... Uh, has this big feature on the... Uh, class suddenly being pulled with a floor out from under them and falling into the water, which was um, uh, fun at that moment, but it, it doesn't um, give justice to the whole strength of the storyline. Yeah, I just I wasn't expecting to see something like that in this film, but it was actually quite stunning how they shot. And he was, I mean, my God, he and Donna Reed were dancing up a storm there. I mean, it's fantastic. It's amazing, actually, and I was thinking, especially when we come into White Christmas, just how multifaceted all the performers were back then like every actor and actress could sing to a certain degree they could dance to a certain degree Jimmy Stewart could play the accordion yeah and they were they could play piano they could now I mean no offense or anything I'm sure there is still a lot of multi-talented people who do go between Broadway and 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 um, West End and doing films and stuff and TV but you really don't have that repertoire of actors and actresses that can really do it all well talk about the man who does it all you know jimmy stewart actually had quite a successful career in the army as well that's um, right and i yeah. don't i don't mean just um doing um the service during world war Two. like he uh by i i don't know quite how he balanced it but he became a general by the end yeah, he was he was quite high up in the army, I think, and also people like Henry Fonda and all that were, you know, had all gone into the army, and mm -hmm. and it was just part of their. I mean, I can't really imagine. I'm sure there probably are a few modern actors like Adam Driver. I think he was in he who was in um, the newer Star Wars films. I think he was in the army, but or the Marines. But just back then, it was just they had to do the other things that the other men were doing at the time, and I guess society and mm -hmm. and life has shifted. So. He must have been quite a good uh, military person because I think he got to get to general and as far as he did, I, he got too far uh, to be uh, just a, a poster boy from the army to use a famous person. Yeah. Because there were plenty of others that, like Clark Abel, I'm, uh, look, I'm sure he was a very effective um, pilot and may have been that he was old at the time, but I don't think he um, did much beyond uh, what was uh, happening in World War Two. Of course, that is plenty for most people. Yeah, he, so he was a Brigadier General, which is, 
yeah, that's uh, that's pretty high up there. I mean, to get to any status of is so that's a one. So I guess four star is the top general. He was a one star, but still. I've uh, got to read up on that. Yeah, yeah, I've just got it up here. So it, it gets very complicated. It does get complicated. I think the four star generals are the highest ones. Uh, and it's um, uh, America's a different thing here. Like in Australia, I think we may not even have generals. Yeah, I don't think. I th- think we'll we'll do. Hey, folks, we will research this, and and the next military movies we do, we will uh, we will confirm that for you. But he definitely was a brigadier general, which yeah. I think is the the first grade yeah. of general. I'm not sure if we'll want to do that. We'll just be noticing all the way <laughs> they got the details of another movies. Yeah, that's that's true. But it is actually quite interesting. But yeah, no, you're right there. But even to get to that rank in the armed forces is still an amazing uh, standing. So yes, I liked the film. I didn't love it. I think just because I thought it was something different and through the whole film I was like, oh, this is not what I thought the film was. Um, perhaps um, I did love the ending of the film though. Yeah. I loved the film very much. I thought it was a good uh, moral tale. I'm glad they um, toned down the... Um, because I think Frank Capra, who was came from a, a bit of a more religious background at the time had some ideas of including a bit more literal prayer scenes, but I think the way they did it was a much, uh, a way that a lot more people could relate with. The ending, yes, it, yes, it was nice. I'm, uh, I, I'm not really convinced that suddenly the whole town mm. would, uh, would come yeah. out with donations. Yeah. Um, like maybe if there were like a select band of the community or uh, maybe Mr. Potter's assistant uh, came mm. by with the truth or something inspired, inspired by it but uh, it's it's one of those moments where you can sort of um because you've built that tension of the story you can sort of forgive it in that period and uh, as often uh, i turn to um the master of hitchcock's words Mm. that logic is something that only works after the film and by that time everybody's paid for their tickets (laughs) and how true how true he was and how true his words are. So, yes, I it was good to finally see this film. It was good to put the scenes there. Uh, Donna Reed, we've discussed Donna Reed before, and <clears throat> she does have a relationship with somebody that I like to mention in this podcast, even though he didn't even star in any classic movies, but that's fine. Yeah, of course, she played Larry Hagman's mother for one season in Dallas when Barbara Bel Geddes wasn't available. And it was a very interesting season at that. So, yes, that's my Larry Hagman connection for this film, of course. So we'll jump on to White Christmas, 1954, directed by the great Michael Curtis. Um, so this this film seems like it's an amalgamation of other films that perhaps came before it, like Holiday Inn and a few things like that because it features the songs of Irving Berlin. So White Christmas was not written especially for this film. It was in some previous works uh, that Bing Crosby had been involved with. They decided, yep, let's take White Christmas and put a story around it, I guess, and you kind of get that sense watching the film that it's more about just having these big show piece you know, musical song and dance parts, which is more than fine with me. 
So White Christmas stars the great Bing Crosby, the great Danny Kaye, who I forgot, actually forgot how much I loved. I used to watch him a lot in like The Court Jester, Hans Christian Andersen. I used to watch yeah. those films when I was like 10 or so. Absolutely loved it. Um, George's lovely aunt, Rosemary Clooney. And it was nice to see Rosemary Clooney, as I was saying to Matt before we started the podcast, I remember just because before Rosemary Clooney passed away, I used to read articles and stuff about her. And I remember her as this bigger woman because she was a bit of a larger woman in her later life with these glasses on. And seeing her in this film as a younger woman, a bit more svelte and, you know, it's, I was like, oh my gosh, is that the same person? And I was watching the videos of her last night. It, it is. And the lovely Vera Ellen who, but Rosemary and Vera, you know, we were reading had some tough stuff happened to them in their lives. So, but they were fantastic in this film and um, distributed by Paramount Pictures. It is a really fun film to watch with great music. Yeah, it was um, uh, quite an inspired um, selection of uh, music. Uh, what I had to do to stop myself giggling a bit at the beginning, though, was that early in the film we have our leading lady singing Sisters, Sisters... Um, and um, I had a sudden, yeah, I had a sudden shock because I realised that the first time I'd heard that song before, and it was with two sixty-year-old men performing in drag. Right, yeah, it was this at our local theatre company where we. Yes, um... it was. <laughs> yeah, so it um, it, it, the picture took a while to move away. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't realise that Danny and Bing actually sort of did their own rendition, miming them to it as well, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and there was some interpretive dance numbers in this that Danny Kay did with a group. Of, yeah, I wasn't expecting to see something like that. You know, when they were on the plane, you know, and dancing and... Yeah, it's uh, like uh, the, the men in black. Yeah, uh, the men in... I was like, wow, this is really out there for this film. So it seemed like, you know, there's... Uh, I'm trying to... Uh, it's My memory's gone in terms of... But sometimes there's a great song... It's probably like a lot of the Beatles movies or the Spice World movie. They just kind of build a story around whatever songs they've got. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Again, I thought the story of White Christmas, I thought it was just about this group of people living in a town and something happened. And I never actually read what the story was. And um, I didn't realise that it was that the, the main characters all were actually professional performers who were quite successful and then they'd come into the town to sort of help out at the end. So I thought they were all just people that lived in a town and they just happened to sing like awesome as well. <laughs> yeah, well, um, anything to raise money in a crisis. Yeah, um, but I have to say, I just, I really liked... Danny Kay in this film. I really liked him and I thought Vera Ellen was really sweet. Um, who do you think out of the four, who did grabbed your attention? Well, I am a big Crosby fan yeah. and I'll be honest, this isn't my favourite one of his. I find a, a, it seems to be, a the plot seems to be a bit weak and just supports um, the, the songs, which is often a... a yeah. A danger in musicals. Yeah. But I I enjoy the, a lot of the one-liners uh, between Crosby and Danny Kaye. Yeah. They, uh, they really um, are what makes a lot of uh, films of that generation for me. They're kind of wet. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially in the dressing room uh, when they're tricking each other into their respective dates. Yeah, and I just... I forgot how good Danny Kaye was as an all-around performer... Not only has he got a really good voice, 
I mean, Bing probably has the more well-known voice and same with Rosemary as well because she's an outstanding singer in her own right. Uh, but I forgot how good he was at, so you know, the physical comedy, the slapstick. He's a good dancer. He may not be Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly, but he was really, or Donald O'Connor, but he was really good in his own right. And he, he had played, I remember some roles he did later on, and he can do dramatic roles. He can do comedy roles. Like, geez, like, oh, what a, what a performer. Yeah, it's uh, a bit like Donald O'Connor and Singing yeah. in the Rain, um, yeah. that uh, the pure energy. Yeah, it's just like, and, and a lot of these people, like Fred Astaire, they came up through that vaudeville, they had other jobs before they got into it, and they really came up the hard way, and you can see that because when they got to where they needed to be, it's not like it was effortless, but they had just put in that time that they needed. And uh, so it, I thought they made a really lovely foursome in this film. I really liked Danny and Vera. I liked their energy together and how playful they were. And I thought Rosemary was a good match for Bing. And I finally did the reading and found out where Bing's name came from. It was from a comic book or a storybook, like when he was a child growing up in, in Washington and the name of the cat, he just loved this comic strip. And the name, his name Bing, comes from that comic strip. So it's Harry Crosby is his name. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I actually saw an old uh, film reel of Bing Crosby in the mid-40s. And it was actually for the American tax department. Oh, right. And they'd uh, got a famous person to say... Hello, everyone. It's time to do your taxes. <laughs> and uh, ex briefly explaining how to fill out the form, because I guess you didn't have a government website to refer to back then yeah. or anything. And it was like, now you'll have to um, write in all your details properly. I, for example, couldn't write the name Bing. You had to be a bit more formal. So uh, <laughs> he was obviously open that the... Uh, that uh, Bing was more of a stage nickname. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was just something. I was like, oh, I must find out why he's called Bing, or is it actually his name, or is it short for something else? And it was interesting to sort of read that little um, story about how it was from that comic strip or the the booklet thing that he read in his hometown as a child that he loved, and then he got the nickname from that. So it's sweet when you. Um... So that would be like if you had a Broadway star now who called themselves Thor. Yeah. <laughs> Although <laughs> I, I, I can imagine some people doing that. So, I mean, these films were, they're beautiful films. White Christmas is a beautiful film. And I probably enjoyed White Christmas a bit more just because I love the singing so much and because it really reacquainted me with Danny Kaye and actually how much I'm a fan of his and I'm really looking forward to getting back into, um, I'll put him up there with Ray and sort of have a few nights where I have uh, do a Ray and Danny double, I think, at the house, like, you know. Yes, I I know the cogs in your head are turning right now to plan that as we speak. <laughs> oh, I'll say, I'll definitely say, but I just love these, and I'm a big Donald O'Connor fan as well, so definitely want to get in and watch a lot more of his films, and um, I'm excited as we go forward. There's literally just so much that we can cover, as Matt and I often say, it's a lifelong hobby that we've got here. So, uh, is there anything else about White Christmas you want to say before we finish up on that one today? I would say, and this is often the problem with um, operas as well, that a lot of people uh, go to see them after a while because there's one particular song that's drawn into it for ages. Trying to not go in with that mentality, mm. uh, tr uh, like with any movie, see it as 
uh, as a new um, thing. Yeah. Like there was that famous American critic who, like all people I refer to, I forget their name, but he yeah. said that uh, any movie, no matter how old, it's not a, an old movie if you haven't seen it before. Yeah. So see with yeah. fresh eyes. Yeah. And uh, I, I admit uh, that uh, of the pair, uh, White Christmas probably wasn't as much my favourite, because, probably because I have a bit more taste for the drama these days. Yeah. When I was young, I think I'd have, uh, that would be my favourite of the two. Uh, but um, I seem to like something a bit more uh, dark edge, like It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Although you wouldn't uh, hear it from the name and its uh, stereotypical vision that uh, It's a Wonderful Life is the darker of the two. Yeah, although yeah. I guess both both films had good moral you know moral stories in them and you know i guess in white christmas it was about the characters eventually yeah. following their hearts and if that meant that their performing had to take a bit of a back seat and they could help somebody out which they did and and that was yeah. sort of the well, moral of it's a wonderful life too in a way well we need more uh, uh, films and uh, pieces of uh, art like that that can uh, motivate someone to do a nice thing for the next door neighbor yeah, or, or, their, or their distant neighbour in this case. Definitely. And, you know, it I wouldn't be right for me to not just point out the fact that Bing Crosby's, one of his younger children, Mary Crosby, played uh, Kristen in Dallas, who was the one who shot JR. I just thought, you know, I'd have to bring that up. Yeah, I... If you hadn't come up with a Larry Hagman <laughs> reference for um, the second half as well, I'd have been very disappointed. <laughs> He said, well, the good thing about Larry is um, his mother, Mary Martin, knew a lot of these people. So I think I can pretty much uh, connect him to anyone, even though he never actually directly met them yeah. himself. One of these days I'm going to edit a whole episode of all your Larry Hagman references. <laughs> There'll be quite, there'll be quite a few there, but you know, it's you know, I got the ball rolling early, and I thought this is just one of the niche things that has to be done in this website. Well, thanks very much, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we started this actually in lockdown. I think we had a few sessions together, and then we did it remotely, as you can tell from the great audio quality that we had at that time. Yep, we're still we're still working on getting a sponsorship yeah. on the road. <laughs> And um, that was kind of, I have um, a bit of patchy internet on my end, so I think that was more my fault. But um, yeah, so we managed to survive through it, and here we are back again working in person together. Our next broadcast will be on Sunday, the 10th of January, just to give everyone a break, ourselves a break. And you know, you know what it's like. Um, I work over Christmas, Matt's doing different things over Christmas as well. So it's probably easy to just meet up with a fresh head in the new year. And we do have a fun, fun new year planned. Two films I'm looking forward to, 1951, Vincent Minnelli's An American in Paris with uh, the great Gene Kelly and Singing in the Rain, 1952, which was also directed by um, Gene Kelly with his directing partner as well. So, and Donald O'Connor is in the second film. I'm really looking forward to both of those. Me too. I think we're going to be whistling to the microphone together. Yes, definitely. So we're going to have a fun new year. We will get our social media up and running more. I've still got computer issues that I'm dealing with, but I will get them resolved before we record again. So we wish you a fantastic Christmas, new year, healthy, happy 2021. Hopefully out and about with your family and friends and not in the house. Matt, would you, anything you want to say to finish us off? Well, I'd also like to say Happy Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Happy mm -hmm. every other occasion. Um, <laughs> uh, 
uh, to every denomination and even if you don't celebrate anything at this particular time just enjoy the time off or uh, double time work depending yes. on your particular contract I hope you yeah. enjoy it um, yeah as Rachel says we have all our social media channels where we uh, put out uh, different things as well as our own um, our own episodes and we look forward to starting the new year with you with new content. I can't believe how fast the time has oh, gone. I know. I know, definitely. But it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of great movies. Many, many more to come with many more brilliant directors, brilliant stars, writers, beautiful films that we can't wait to explore more and talk more about. But in the meantime, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies. Thank you and have a great 2021.